Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're calling this year the Year of the Bible as we read and study through the Bible cover to cover. On August 25th, we'll kick off the New Testament along with home-based small groups who will study the weekly reading together. If you'd like more information about any of this, visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Second uh, Peter 1, 1-4. through 4. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God, our sa- God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Pray with me. Father, as we uh, read this text and uh, let it soak into our hearts, we pray that uh, first and foremost for this season, we remember what it's about. It's all about you, and it's about what you gave us through your son, Jesus. It's something we need to remember as we go about our lives this month, and we're so busy that it's really all about that. Christmas is about Christ. Christ is in Christmas, and that's what it all means. Father, just help us to remember that because those are the promises you gave us through him, through his life and his death and resurrection. That's the promise that we have and that we hold on to each day. So thank you so much for sending your son to save us. Be with John and just inspire him as he gives us his message today. And thank you so much for John and what he's done for all of us at Cornerstone. And just uh, he's so clear that he's anointed and that, uh, and that your hands on him. We love you, and it's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Checks in the mail. Thank you. (laughs) Well, last week we were looking at the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 3, a great text. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And And that was echoed again at the end of the text, but sandwiched in between was this little piece. Not that. There it is. He said, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He says, see to it. As we talked about last week, each of us has a responsibility for stewarding our hearts. Each of us has a responsibility for keeping the inner fire uh, burning for keeping our love for Jesus, our, our, our zeal, our passion for Jesus fresh, which is really good clarity that you're responsible for that. But I realized after I preached the sermon that it's actually a little bit unfair to put that burden on each of us if we don't know how to do that. It's unfair to say you're responsible for kindling your own inner fire if you have no idea how one goes about doing that. And I'd be curious, by show of hands, how many people would say, like, I could use some help learning how to kindle my inner fire. I could use some help learning how to read the Bible and pray, for example. So by show of hands, okay? Yeah, I mean, it's all of us. All of us at one level or another would say, I'm not fully 
where I want to be or where I think I could be in my relationship with Jesus. You know, like life is hard. We get distracted. We need help kindling uh, that inner fire. And so this part, this morning, I want to do my part to encourage you uh, by equipping you with some skills. And for some of you, I think these are going to be game-changing skills to keep the inner fire burning, how to not just read the breadth of Scripture, which is what we've been doing in the year of the Bible this year, but to dive in for the depth of Scripture, how to meditatively read and pray through a biblical passage. And I think this is going to be just a ball for, for lots of us. I hope that you go home and use this and practice this for the next 40 years. Have it as one of the tools on your tool belt or in your toolbox for learning to read the Bible. But before I share the skill, I want to share a couple theological foundations that undergird the whole principle of not just like how to read the Bible, but also like it reinforces everything we do in our desire to have a relationship with God, our efforts in uh, investing in a relationship with God. And the first principle is this. See? Uh, the fir- is that God wants to be known. I'm going to have three. This is the first one. The first principle is that God wants to be known. So look at the text that we just read, that Lloyd just read for us. It said, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through what? Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God wants to be known. The text said, Him who called us. The call represents a desire to talk. If someone calls you on the phone, now 80% of the time it's like a robocall, but that robocall really wants to talk to you to get your money. The call represents a desire to talk, to engage relationally, and when God calls, it's a call of grace. It's God stooping to engage relationally with a person that he created. He calls because he cares. We call each other and we use words to talk to each other because we want to have a relationship with each other. We want to make ourselves known, and we want to know other people. We just sang this in What a Beautiful Name, but in John 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is is the beginning of a divine conversation, a divine human conversation. John says at the end of that passage, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The season of Advent is like remembering the divine conversation that God has started in the person of Jesus, and the next and greater word he'll speak when Christ returns in glory to renew all things. Him who called us. We also see here our knowledge of him. The text presupposes that we can know God, that the one who calls us gives us knowledge of him. Now, an agnostic is a person who believes that nothing is known or can be known about the existence or the nature of God. It's beyond us. Agnostic, the A means um, uh, without, and gnostic means, or gnosis is without, is knowledge. We're without knowledge. If there is a God, we can't access information about that God. But Peter in this text argues otherwise. He says, we know of this God... Because this God called us as a result of the glory and goodness of this God. So we know that this is a God that can be known and wants to be known. A God that initiates our knowing of him. And we know that this is a good and a glorious God and not a fickle or capricious God. All of this comes to us from the passage. 
Christians believe that in real time, in actual human history, God has intervened and made a call to make God's self known. God has called people. And God still calls people as an extension of his glory and goodness. And the first Christians uh, did not just take some blind abstract leap of faith. They believed what they believed because they, they had experienced the call of God through the person of Jesus Christ. This is how John begins his first letter. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked at, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. John is writing to these early Christians and saying, what I'm telling you is based on the experience I have had of being called by God in the person of Jesus Christ. It's based on the historical experience of the incarnation, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. God has called. It was not a blind leap of faith for them, and it's also not a totally blind leap of faith for us. For all of us, our Christian experience, in, at least in part, should be anchored in an experience of the call of God. And it may have been for you like a mysterious thing, like your heart burned or you're suddenly like full of tears or you just had this deep sense of knowing beyond your ability to articulate that something divine was happening that the presence of Jesus was being made real to you by the Holy Spirit, or maybe when you're reading Scripture, or maybe when you're praying, or you've seen something beautiful in nature. In a couple of weeks, we're going to, uh, on my, my favorite service of the year on the 29th, we're going to pass the mic and just ask each other the question, what's God done in your life this year? How has He shown up? How has He called you? And we're going to celebrate together as each person shares and say, thanks be to God. If you're in town, don't miss the service. It's really great. When we say God wants to be known, it means that God is personal, which is a theological concept. This comes from Tom Oden, not a family member, uh, his first volume of his systematic theology. He says, a personal relationship involves and requires an interactive speaking and listening relationship of free beings. Even though God's way of being a person far transcends human ways of being persons, Nonetheless, the divine human encounter is portrayed by Scripture as a personal relationship of meeting, speaking, listening, getting acquainted, becoming mutually committed and involved, experiencing frustrations and failures, splitting up and being reconciled. Scripture speaks constantly of God by means of these personal and interpersonal analogies. God is viewed as a self-determining, conscious, feeling, and willing self who has relationships with other personal beings. God is known and celebrated in the life of prayer as personal and understood by means of metaphors of human personal responsiveness. The language we use about relating to one another, the Bible uses in our relationship with God. It assumes a personal two-way relationship. Persons, by definition, have feelings. Each one has an identifiable self, intellect, and capacity for response, God is represented in Scripture as having much of the psychological makeup of what we know as personhood. God has intellect and emotion. God speaks. God hears. Metaphorically, it is said that God repents and can be angry, jealous, and compassionate. 
and only personal beings can feel such emotions. No stone or abstract idea or amoeba can speak words, listen, care for others, get angry, respond to hurts. Only persons do these things. And although God is far more than what we can signify by our term personal, God is certainly not less than our personal being, a personal being. If it's true that God wants to be known, that God is personal, uh, God wants to be known, it's also true that God wants to be sought. God wants to be sought. This comes to us from the author of Hebrews. Without faith, this is chapter 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe, one, that he exists, and two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God wants to be known, but like you, God also wants to be sought. You're frustrated by relationships where you're the only one who ever initiates. We all are. We all want to be known. We, also, we all want to be pursued in a sense. This is the give and take of all personal relationships and also the divine human relationship. God wants uh, to be known and also wants to know us and to be known and also wants to be sought. There's a space, though, between seeking and finding. There's there's a, a, a liminal space, a gap in our information, and sometimes that space feels really big. Um, In that space between seeking and finding, something happens to us. The gap in the knowledge that we have now and we will have when Christ returns and we meet face to face is big and it's vast, but God knows that something happens to us in that in-between space of question and answer, in its formation, its relationship, that we're building trust, we're building knowledge of one another, we're building character. But also in that gap, there's space for frustration and disillusionment, which is also a part of human relationships. And that's where faith kicks in. Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I believe, God, in seeking you that you're going to reward me, that I'm not going to be put to shame. No one who ever trusts in him is put to shame, says David in the Psalms. There's a U2 lyric that's really good on this theme from their song, If There's a Light. I was told I'd feel nothing the first time. You were slow to heal, but this could be the night. I think that represents our seeking of God too. It's not magic necessarily the first time you try, maybe the second or the third through the tenth. I was told I'd feel nothing the first time. That's probably good wisdom. But man, this could be the night. And that faith, no one can please God without faith because we must believe that he exists and that ultimately there's a payoff, there's a reward for those who earnestly seek him. We persist in believing this could be the night. Today is the day where I'm going to do my part to keep the inner fire kindled to earnestly seek God. God wants to be known. God wants to be sought. And also in this process, God wants to help. This is a cool passage from uh, 2 Chronicles. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth looking to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. Can you imagine like the spirit of God hovering over our neighborhoods and coming in and out of our schools and our homes thinking, all right, who can I strengthen today? Who can I bless today? Who's who's committed to me that needs a a leg up, a hand? Uh, The eyes of God are roaming everywhere. Who needs me? One of the primary ways the church historically has found that God speaks is through Scripture. He helps us through Scripture. Paul said to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. 
and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be fully equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good as I've already said, this year we've done a really wide reading of Scripture. Uh, we, and it's really like an, orient, an orienting read. Genesis to Revelation, kind of getting the story. I hope that you're ending the year with like maybe a sense of organization of the Bible and some of the big movements of the story of, of the Bible. Next year, and in the skill that I'm about to teach, uh, this is, we're going to be looking at a deep reading of Scripture. Going deep, not just going wide and soaking it, like sucking it for all the marrow of goodness that's in there. This comes from St. Jerome. He said, the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever touching the bottom. So no matter where you are, whether you're just getting started and you're timidly putting your toes into the water, or whether you've been swimming like in the deep end for a while, there are still depths in our relationship with God that we can still plumb. There's still opportunity to learn more, to be transformed more, and so that's what we want to know. So recognizing that God wants to be known that God wants to be sought, and that God uh, helps us to know Him through the work of the Holy Spirit, especially in illuminating Scripture. I want to share a fairly simple and memorable tool for prayerfully studying through a passage of Scripture. And you may want to get out your phone for this. There may be a couple times you want to like, like hold up your phone and take a picture of stuff, because this is going to be really helpful, and I hope that you use this as a tool for the rest of your lives. So an acronym for, for remembering this skill is TIME. It takes time to know God. It takes time to grow in a relationship with other people. It takes time to learn to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit by reading Scripture. And so time is going to be this tool that guides us. The T in, in time stands for text, text. So this year we've been reading a really, really broad selection of Scripture. But when you want to go deep on a passage of Scripture... The first thing you're going to do is just identify the text that you want to study. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to give you some sample texts so you could go practice on. But you can do this with any, any part of the Bible. You're going to identify a text that you want to study. Uh, I'm going to recommend that it's not a ton longer than 10 verses or so. The, uh, uh, the, in some of the examples I give, I go up to like 16 or 17 verses. But the goal is not to be like so, so long. Don't do all of Job, any chapter in Job, really. And before you dig in to read this text, you want to be as unhurried as possible. So you got your coffee, you got the table cleared off, your phone is in another room, your screens are turned off in another places, you're not going to get notifications. Whew, you just want to find your breath. So then take some deep breaths, you want to do your best to clear your mind, slow down, and just invite the Holy Spirit. Even if it's just three words, just, hey, come Holy Spirit. Take a minute to just be in silence, and you, you can't rush this. And after you've identified your text, and you've slowed your heart rate down, you've slowed down your attention and your energy, you're going to slowly read this passage, really slowly. And the thing you're doing as you're reading this is you're looking for a word or a phrase that causes your heart to burn, something that, like, leaps off the surface. Now, but not just intellectually, emotionally, like 
in, in your being, there's like, <clears throat> there's something there. Every time that I've done this, this is the part that takes the longest. Like, the first time I did this, the guy who taught this to me, he assigned us a text to practice with, and I thought, gracious, there is nothing here. That may be the same for you. You may read it once, and it, something jumps off the page. You may have to read it five, six, seven times before a word or a phrase or an image from the text uh, grabs your heart. Um, so read it a bunch of times. Don't rush it, rush it. It could be that in a single setting, the only thing you do is read. It could be that you have to keep coming back to this text for a couple of days or a couple of sessions to really uh, orient your heart to what you're reading. Uh, but you can't rush it. Don't move on until a word or a phrase has been elevated. And stay with that slow reading until something happens. This kind of reading takes faith because it assumes that God is personal and God wants to be known and wants to speak to you and wants to be sought by you. And so in your seeking, you're like, I am, I'm banking on you showing up. It's reading by faith. And so read until something happens. And something happens, a word, a phrase, an image from the text is going to pop up. And when you have that, you're going to move on to the next phase, which is immerse. Immerse. Uh, you know, when you want to learn another language, it's best to immerse yourself in a place where that language is being spoken everywhere. So you want to throw yourself imaginatively into the text that you've just read, especially surrounding the word or phrase that you felt like God elevated. You're immersing yourself in it. So... Um, you're, you're asking as many questions as you can possibly think of, especially those of us who are gifted with quick opinions. You need to discipline yourself to ask questions and not just jump to your own conclusions. So ask as many questions as you can think of. Uh, meditate on that word or that phrase. Just like imaginatively ruminate over it. Uh, this, this could be a space where research comes in. Uh, you could use a Bible commentary, though, if you're going to do that, make that your last resort. Don't go to that quickly. You want to just, just you, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the Scriptures. Uh, so let's just say you were studying the parable of the mustard seed, <clears throat> which uh, is in the, an example at the end of, of the sermon today. I'll, I'll share the reference with that. And the phrase that really got you was faith the size of a mustard seed. Well, you could take the, the image of the mustard seed and refresh yourself on how seeds grow. Do you remember being a kindergartner and you put a little bean in a wet paper towel and it, it sprouted? You had to keep it wet, but it ultimately sprouted. Refresh yourself on how seeds grow. Um, take the, like, journal about the similarities between the literal growth of a seed and the growth of a human being or the growth of faith. Let your mind wander imaginatively and just explore every nook and cranny of this idea that you can think of. Um, you could Google stuff. You could pull in commentaries, but just don't rush there. Don't go to other sources to answer the questions that maybe God wants to put on your heart or even that God wants to answer. So you're going to do your own work first, immersing yourself in this. This could take a long time. It could take 20 minutes. You just go at your own pace. Don't, don't stress yourself out into meeting a rubric of I have to meet 15 minutes in the immersion phase. Don't worry about that. But after you've soaked yourself in the text and God has elevated a word or a phrase, you've immersed yourself, you've asked all the questions that you can think of, that you've begun to, to, to think about it imaginatively and write down all of your observations, only then are you going to go to the next phase in, in our time acronym, which is ministry. 
And ministry doesn't mean like vocational ministry. The, the conclusion of every Bible study is become a pastor. That's not that. That's not the point. This is about reading with a view toward application. What does God want me to do with this information? How can I apply what I'm discovering in this immersion phase to my understanding of God? So that could be your theology, it could be your narratives, it could be your understanding of the Bible. How can I apply this to my understanding of God, to my engagement in the world? Uh, this is like, how can I practically obey this where I work, live, and play? How does God want to take this idea that he's like germinating in my heart and equip me to go and live well and live wisely as a result of this? So go back to the example of the mustard seed. Example of the mustard seed. How do I want to apply this to my life, to my thinking, to my obedience? Okay, well, seeds grow slowly, so I'm going to be patient with God's work in me. Dang it. I really wanted to be a better person in 2019. I'm not there yet. But you know, like this growth takes time. I'm going to be patient with the work of God in me. Seeds need time, but seeds also need tending. Okay, God, how are my environmental elements? How are, how's the condition of my soil? Am I receiving enough water? Am I receiving enough sunlight? Am I receiving too much of one thing, but I'm totally neglecting this thing about life with God in another area? You're asking these questions, God, how do you want me to learn and to grow and to adjust? How are my conditions? Uh, if God is prompting you at this stage to do something, it's like, I know that there are people around me who don't know the gospel, don't know Jesus. I'm being invited to plant a seed in them. I'm just going to take my one step of obedience. If God does something to prompt you to action, obey quickly, immediately. Even just assume it's the voice of God unless it's like proposing to someone that you've just met or doing something illegal or unethical or unbiblical, don't do that. But assume that like if there's a prompt to reach out, to call somebody, to do something generous, like just assume it's the Holy Spirit and you'll learn over time to discern that voice. Obey quickly. Now, all of this is really good. This text, uh, the immersion, the ministry, thinking about it, but all of it is just an intellectual exercise that's not going to be transformative in your life if you don't move on to the last component, which is encounter. And encounter has to do with prayer. Encounter moves from being a third-person conversation about God as idea or an idea presented uh, in, in the passage to a second-person conversation where you're looking face-to-face and you're like, let's talk about this. I need help understanding this. And you're taking everything that you've, you've been kicking around in your studies, the questions that you've been asking, the observations you've been making, the invitations you've felt to application and ministry, and you, you take it to God in prayer. The encounter of, of prayer is where insights become actualized in your heart. It's where transformation can begin to take place. In the encounter phase, you're taking these ideas and you're directing them to God in a person-to-person -person conversation. And as you do this, there can be different kinds of prayer that happen. It can be a kind of adoration or gratitude. So go back to the parable of the mustard seed. Like, how can I thank God for the seeds that he's planted in my life? Man, thank you, God, that I was born into my family with parents who taught me to love Jesus. Thank you for, for other adults at my church, or thank you for this experience. Thank you for that moment where other people watered that seed or where you poured fertilizer on my seed. Like, thank you. It's adoration. It's gratitude. It can be repentance. It can be, God, forgive me for neglecting what you've planted in me. 
Forgive me for like, like uh, having like roots of bitterness come up against other people. Please prune me. Forgive me for not, not sharing the seed with other people, for resisting your work. There could be petition. It's asking God to do stuff in you based on what you've read. Like, God, water me, shine on me, nourish me, help me to grow. We use this, this imagination, this Scripture-soaked imagination to direct us in prayer. And there's something powerful about using the shape of what we've read in prayer uh, to give life to, what we've read in Scripture to give life to our prayer. There can be intercession. You're praying for that person who, like, you've, you reached out. You tried to plant a seed in their life, and good gracious, it feels like they've been totally uh, unresponsive. You're interceding for them. God, would you water the seed that's been planted on them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? May they meet you. May they encounter you in a way that changes them. And asking God to send more people. God, would you raise up more missionaries? Would you embolden the church in Syria as they're liberally scattering the word? We use all of this, what we experience in the text, we've immersed ourselves in the ministry we feel invited to into an encounter with the living God who wants to actualize this in our hearts and transform us. And after you've gone through all of this process, which could take 30 minutes, it could take a day, it could take a week, don't go in any hurried pace. To the best of your ability, just enjoy it. And at the very end of it, after you have, have feel like you've completed this study, there's a really important final step, which is just to give a name to the thing that you've learned. Give a name to the thing that you've learned. So in the example that I've given, you could say something as kind of boring as the principle of the mustard seed. And you're always going to remember, someone says to you, like, what's God teaching you? What's God doing in you? Well, I just learned the principle of the mustard seed. And you explain, here's kind of what I went through in studying it. It could be something like, don't forget to water. You know, but it's like whatever it's going to take, some kind of, some kind of naming that's going to help you remember and hold on to this thing that God has done in you. And oh my gosh, if you did this one time a week, not just like as a thing to check off, I did my time this week, but if you just began the habit of spending time with God, of inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you, you know, it may be that there's nothing, no fireworks the first time, but anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. Be earnest persevere, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. The eyes of the Lord are roaming to, to and fro throughout the earth, looking for hearts to strengthen. Why wouldn't yours be one of those? And all of this is predicated on the principles that, that we see in the story of Christmas, the story of Advent, of a God who wants to be known, a God who would move into neighborhoods like ours, and invite regular people like us to know him and apprentice him. It's the God of the universe taking a step saying, I want to get to know you, Mark. Saying, I want to get to know you, Kenyon. I want to get to know you, Marcia. The God of the universe has stepped out, not just to express his love to the world, because we know God so loved the world, but to express his love to you. He cares for you. He wants to know you. He knows the wounds and the hurts. He knows the hang-ups that you have that are keeping you from trusting in him because of that terrible thing that happened and you haven't found an answer to satisfy it just yet, and so you've stayed on the run. He knows it all. He wants to talk about it. 
He wants, he wants to, to love you, to assure you, to walk with you, to give you a sense of dignity and, and restoration in your identity, to give you a sense of purpose and safety, and yet also a sense of adventure in this life. All of this is predicated on the God who wants to be known, who also wants to be sought, and who wants to help us in the seeking, meeting us in between the seeking and the finding, forming us, shaping us, strengthening us, and transforming us in increasing measure into the image of Jesus. And the same God by the Holy Spirit is with us today. By the Holy Spirit is with us as we gather around the table and we remember uh, what Jesus did, not just for the world, but for you and for me and for our worst enemies. And so as we prep our hearts to gather around the table, I invite you to just pray with me. As we've done before, if your ambition is to know God, or to know him better. I just invite you in the quiet of your heart as we pray now to say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, speak to me. Make your word alive in me. Transform me. A lot of times in our relationship with God, it feels like we're outside of coverage. Like when you go into a rural area and your phone's not picking up a signal, maybe it feels like God's on mute or God is, can't be reached. And especially for those of you who felt that acutely, I would just invite you to pray with some hope. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And God, I just pray for all of us this morning that we would be given an assurance that you love us, that you exist, that you are personal, that you are good, that you've made yourself known in Jesus and Jesus that draws us close to the Father by the Holy Spirit. I just pray for a a fresh word, fresh encouragement, fresh assurance today. And and for my friends in here, Lord Jesus, who genuinely don't know you, I pray that you give them the courage to pray in their own way, I'm open, speak to me, make yourself known to me. And whether it's today at the communion table or tonight in bed or during class or during work or in a commute, they just have the the guts and the faith and courage to say, like, I, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to I put my full trust in you. I'm banking on you making yourself known to me. Thank you, God, that you're with us, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>